All right, well, uh, here's a question for you. Here's a question for you. How do you know that God loves you? How do you know that he loves you? I mean, you can't, get, you, you can't see God and you can't touch him. You know, truth is, you don't get all that many hugs from God. So then, how can you know that he loves you? Maybe you know that God loves you because, well, because he says so in his word, in the Bible. Uh, maybe that's how you know that he loves you. Or maybe you know that God loves you because you know that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. That would be a pretty good indication that he loves you. Or maybe you know that God loves you because of all the good stuff in your life. Uh, your family, your friends, uh, your home, everything in your home, uh, your job, your education. Maybe it's because of all of these good gifts that you know that God loves you. Well, I reckon that all of these things do show us clearly that God loves us. But this evening, this evening we're going to see another reason why we can know that God loves us. But for many of us, I dare say that what we see tonight, what we learn about God's love tonight, will be quite revolutionary. In fact, I reckon that for many here tonight, it might just turn your whole perspective of God's love for you on its head. Now, if you don't already have your Bible open at Hebrews chapter 12, can I encourage you to look that up there now? Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, it's page 852 of the small print Bible, 1877 of the large print Bibles. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, I'm sure that you'll remember that the book of Hebrews, it's been written to a bunch of Christians. A bunch of Christians who have been going through a pretty rotten time, actually. Uh, they, they have faced real hardship and on account of their Christian faith. Uh, they have faced terrible persecution. And now it seems that these Christians are uh, wavering in their faith. There seems to be this real possibility that all this hardship will now cause them to chuck away their faith. And so last week, you might remember, uh, last week we saw the writer to the book of Hebrews, he, he gave them this big long list, a big long list of Old Testament characters, all of whom had suffered terribly for their faith. You might remember some of them were tortured, some of them were flogged, some of them were sawn in two. Horrible persecution, terrible persecution these people had gone through. And then, of course, he also gave them the ultimate example of Jesus Christ, who was uh, nailed to the cross, uh, crucified on account of the sinful opposition that he had faced. You see, the writer to the book of Hebrews is trying to show these Christians that actually they're not all that unusual. They're not all that unusual in suffering for the faith. So what he wants them to do now is he wants them to keep things in perspective. Because, yes, it's true, okay, they've suffered, they have suffered for the faith. But then again, they haven't suffered to the same degree as many of those people who have gone before them. Some of them had had their blood spilt on account of suffering, on account of the persecution that they had faced. But not these guys, no, not yet, at least. 
Read with me Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. In your struggle against sin, and what, what he means by that is in your, your struggle against sinful opposition, in your struggle against persecution, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You see, the writer, he points out that many of these Old Testament characters and, of course, Jesus himself, well, they suffered to the point of death for their faith. And yet, they were still able to endure. They were able to endure this worse persecution. And so, the, the writer's point here is, well, if they were able to do it, then surely you can too. Surely you too can endure this hardship that you're going through. So he wants to encourage them in this way. But then, then the writer, he draws their attention to another point. He draws their attention to another truth that he also hopes will encourage them as they face their hardships. What, they, what he tells them to remember is this. He tells them that they need to remember that God's people... When God's people suffer, it is always an indication of God's love for them. Did you get that? When God's people suffer, it is always an indication of God's love for them. And to prove the point, the writer, he, he quotes a couple of verses from Proverbs chapter 3. Verses which clearly state, that whenever God's people suffer, it is because God is disciplining them. And He's disciplining them because He loves them. And He loves them because they are His children. Read with me from verse 5. Verse 5. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. And here's the quote from Proverbs 3. My son... Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when He rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those He loves and He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. You see, this is the truth that these Christians now need to remember. Uh, their suffering, their, their persecution, it's all actually a sign that God loves them. A sign that they are his children. All right then, uh, we'll do a little survey. We'll see how many hands go up tonight. Um, I want you to put up your hand if you are a parent um, of a kid who is at least two years or older. Can you please put up your hand if you've got a kid? Okay, we've got one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five hands have gone up, okay? Keep those hands up, okay? I, I want you to keep your hand up if you have never disciplined your kids. Keep your hand up if you have never <laughs> disciplined. <laughs> I was a little bit worried there for a moment. Not in the last half hour. Not in the last half hour. <laughs> <laughs> All the hands have gone down, haven't they? I'm glad because that would have really spoilt this illustration. <laughs> <if> they... <laughs> I was never in doubt because you see that's the fact the fact is, disciplining and parenting, they go together, don't they? They always go together, at least they should. Why? Because any parent with an ounce of love for their kid will discipline them. You parents, 
put your hands up. That, that's why you discipline your kids, isn't it? You, that's why you discipline them, because you love them. Because you want to get a little bit of peace and quiet for yourself too, I'm sure, but ultimately because you love them. See, you love your kids and you want them to develop into healthy, mature, well-adjusted human beings. That's why you discipline them. And so when your little boy uh, bites his sister, what do you do? Well, you send him to his room or you, you, you smack him or, or you make him stand in the naughty corner, however, however it is that you discipline your kids. But yet you discipline him. Why? Because you love him enough to train him out of that kind of behaviour. Not that, not that you only ever discipline your kids when they've been naughty. No. No, no, in some way, parents, they're always disciplining their kids. Because, you see, discipline, it's all about training. It's about um, moulding. It's about shaping. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but that's why the word uh, discipline is very, very similar to the word disciple. Because, you see... They're both on about the same thing. They're, they're both on about training. And so the fact is, parents, they, they discipline their kids all of the time, not only when they've been naughty. No, they, they discipline them to, to go to school each day. Uh, parents discipline their kids in only being able to watch a certain amount of television each day. See, discipline, it doesn't have to involve punishment. It, doesn't always have to be on account of naughty behaviour. It doesn't always involve punishment, although it does usually involve some degree of pain. I'm sure uh, you remember when your parents told you to uh, turn off the telly and go do your homework. You know, I'm sure it wasn't a matter of, yippee, I get to go do my homework. You know? <laughs> There's a degree of, of pain there, isn't there? You see, this moulding, this shaping, this discipline, it always involves a degree of pain. But your parents, they made you endure that discipline. Why? Because they knew that it was the best thing for you. It was because they loved you. Well, now that's the kind of perspective that the writer of the book of Hebrews wants these Christians to have on the pain that they're experiencing now. He wants them to see it as, as God's disciplining them, a, a part of God's shaping them. He wants them to see it actually as, a, as an act of love from their loving Heavenly Father who knows what's best for them. But of course, of course, this is going to require a revolution in their thinking because you see, up until now, they've thought of their suffering and they've been completely discouraged. They're, up till now, they've been thinking about chucking in their faith. But now, the writer actually wants them to find encouragement in their suffering. Because he wants them to realise that ultimately their loving Heavenly Father is behind it. And so ultimately, somehow, it is a good thing. These Christians, they should not be discouraged. In fact, you know what? The fact is, if they weren't suffering, if they weren't going through hardships, that's when they would have something to really worry about. Because you see, if they weren't suffering, if they weren't going through hardships, that would mean that God didn't love them. It would mean that God wasn't their heavenly Father. No, if they weren't suffering, it would, 
that would make them some kind of um, spiritually illegitimate children. Read with me from verse 7. Verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So you see these Christians, they need a revolution in their thinking. They need to endure this hardship as as discipline, as the discipline of their loving Heavenly Father. They shouldn't be discouraged. No, they should be encouraged. But beyond being encouraged, how else should these Christians respond to their suffering? How else should they respond? Well, what they also need to do is they need to submit. They need to submit to God's discipline. Now, I... I, uh, still remember as being a young boy and going on long car trips with my family. Uh, Mum and Dad were up in the front and uh, there's me and my uh, brother and sister in the back seat. I'm in the middle because I'm, I'm the youngest. And I still remember how much fun it was on those long car trips to annoy my sister the entire way. Uh, my favourite was um, corners. You know corners? You know, every time you'd go around a curve, you'd lean in as hard as you can. Wouldn't matter if the curve was going the wrong way. You'd lean in as hard as you could, trying to get a rise out of my sister. And I still remember, which translate into little brother languages. This is really fun. Keep going. See, there's only one thing, one thing that my sister could say that would make me stop. Only one thing she could say. The magic words... Dad, make him stop. My dad would uh, turn around from the front seat and with the power of a single glare was able to transform me from the spawn of Satan into the archangel Gabriel himself. (laughs) See, why was my dad able to do that? Why was my dad able to do that? And my sister couldn't. Why? Well, because ultimately I respected my dad. I respected him as the one with the authority. Um, I respected him as the one who knew best. And most of all, I respected him as the one who could pull over the car and give me a belting. (laughs) See, that's the way it usually is with our dads, though, isn't it? We respect them. uh, We respect them so we submit to their discipline. We don't resist it. Rather, we allow ourselves to be changed by it. And if it's like that, with our earthly dads, then then how much more should these Christians here in the book of Hebrews submit to the discipline of God, their heavenly Father? How much more should they respect Him as the one who has the authority, as the one who knows best for them? I mean, He is, after all, the one who disciplines His kids, not not just so that they turn out as healthy, mature, well-adjusted human beings, no, Now, he disciplines them so that they might know life, um, true life, life as he designed it, that they might know true life both now and into all of eternity. Read with me verse 9, verse 9. Moreover, we have all had human fathers 
who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? You see, these Christians, they now have to submit. They have to learn to submit to God's discipline. But while the writer here is making these comparisons between earthly dads and God, well, he goes on now to state a very obvious point. He goes on to say that sometimes, sometimes earthly dads get it wrong. That sometimes they get discipline wrong. Because you see, an earthly dad, well, the best he can do is the best he can do. He, he can only do what he, he thinks is right and, and good at any particular time. But the fact is, sometimes earthly dads get it wrong. Sometimes, sometimes his discipline is too soft. You know, sometimes an earthly dad can overlook things in his kid, things that he shouldn't overlook. But then again, sometimes his discipline is too harsh. And I'm sure that the parents here tonight, uh, I'm sure there would be a few of you who can recall that time when you were too hard on your kid. You see, getting discipline right is... It's a real challenge for earthly parents. You've only got to go up into Borders Bookstore and see their shelf after shelf after shelf, all dedicated to how to discipline your child, to realise that it's no easy thing. And I guess at the end of the day, if you're a parent, then when it comes to discipline, then, then all you can do is your best. You do your best and then you hope that your kid doesn't grow up to become an axe-wielding homicidal maniac. But with God, with God our Heavenly Father, well, He always gets it right. He always gets it right. The discipline He shows His kids is always just right. Never too soft, nor is it ever too harsh. And if His, his kids submit to it, then it will always, always, always bring about the desired good. It will make them more like God. It makes them fit for heaven. It gives them a share in God's holiness. Read with me verse 10. Verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. You see... You see, when it comes to discipline, God always gets it right. And when these Christians submit themselves to God's discipline, when they allow themselves to be shaped by it, will they have the promise of being made more like God in His holiness, of being made fit for heaven. And so what these Christians need now, they need, is they need to develop a, a long-term perspective on their suffering. Because you see, the temptation, of course, for these Christians now is for them to focus on this pain that they're feeling right now. And what I, I really, really like about this particular part of the passage is the way that the writer is so um, realistic about the pain that these guys are feeling. You know, he doesn't just gloss over it. He's not like, come on, stop being sooks, doesn't hurt. He's not like that at all. No, he acknowledges that the pain that accompanies, 
that that there is real pain that accompanies God's discipline. In fact, he says that discipline always, it's always painful. But at the same time, he also encourages these Christians to have a long-term perspective on their suffering. He wants them to, to stop looking down for a moment and he wants them to look up and he wants them to look out beyond the pain that they're feeling to see that there, at the end of their suffering, is something really, really worthwhile. He wants them to see that this suffering that they're facing is actually shaping their lives to live, so that they live God's way. That there, at the end of their suffering, is a harvest of righteousness. He wants them to see that at the end of their suffering is this harvest of, of peace as they come to trust God in every aspect of their lives. Read with me verse 11, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see, these Christians need to develop this long-term perspective on their suffering. They need to look up. They need to look beyond their pain. And there they will see this great harvest of righteousness and peace that awaits them. And then, in the final couple of verses from tonight's passage, the, the writer, he tells these Christians to, to, to get up, to get on with it. That they can't let their suffering cause them to drop out of the race. No way, because you see, at the moment, it's a little bit like they're, they're, they're lying there on the racetrack, uh, doubled over in pain. You know, they've fallen. And now they're, they're, they're thinking about giving up the race altogether. But now the writer, he encourages them. He says, come on, guys. Come on, get up. Get up and get on with it. Yes, yes, their knees are... Their arms are weary on account of the hardships that they face, but now the writer says, come on, you can do it. Get, get up, get up, get on with it. He quotes Proverbs again, and he tells them to make, their par uh, make level paths for their feet. In, in other words, he wants them to make sure that these hardships of life don't trip them up. The writer encourages them, he wants them to get up off the ground and to get on with it, to get moving. Because you see, he knows, he knows that lying lame there on the track will only make things worse, that ultimately they're going to end up um, disabled and then ultimately disqualified from the race altogether. No, they have to reach that finish line because that's where the prize is. That's where they'll find the victory of heaven. That's where they'll find healing. Read with me from verse 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. And with that, our passage ends.
But with that, our passage is over. And so now, of course, comes that obvious question. How is it that we are to apply this passage to ourselves? How are we to apply it into our own lives? Well, you know, friends, every now and then you come across a passage of Scripture where so very little actually has to be said in explaining how, how it applies to us in our lives because it is so, so very obvious. Well, I believe that, that, that this is one of those passages. Because I'm sure, I am positive, that if you are a Christian here today, and if you are a Christian who has faced hardships in your life, or you are a Christian who is facing hardships right now, then I am sure that you have been applying this passage to yourself from the very beginning. And the fact is, I know that um, many of you here this evening have suffered or, or are suffering at this time. So to you, friend, I simply say this. I say, don't let that suffering cause you to drop out of the race, will you? Don't let it cause you to stop trusting Jesus and following him. Don't do it. Because you've seen today, haven't you? You've seen that need that we have as Christians to change our perspective on suffering. You've seen our need for a revolution in our thinking that we now need to understand the hardships of our lives as they really are, as a sign that God loves us, as a sign that He is our Heavenly Father. Christian, you've seen today your need to endure the hardships, your hardships, as the discipline of your loving Heavenly Father the one whose discipline is never too soft or is never too hard, but is exactly what you need to have a share in his holiness. You've seen today your need to develop this long-term perspective on your suffering, the need to look up and to look out beyond your suffering and pain to see there at the end of it this harvest of righteousness and peace that awaits you if you endure. So friend, so friend, come on, come on, get up, get up and let's get on with the race. Now the finish line is it's just up ahead. Let's not get disqualified now. Come on, get up. Put one foot after the other and let's make it to the end. But to finish this evening, there is one more thing that I want to say to you who are here and feeling the pain of suffering. Because this evening I want you to realise that the words of encouragement that have come to you from the book of Hebrews, they're not ultimately my words. The words of encouragement that have come to you are not ultimately the words of the writer of the book of Hebrews either. I want you to remember that the words of encouragement that have come to you tonight are actually, they actually come 
from God himself. They are the words of God himself. You see, friend, ultimately it's your heavenly Father who today is encouraging you to get to that finish line. And you need to know that he is right there with you, encouraging you every step of the way. It reminds me of the story of Derek Redman, uh, the British runner who competed in the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. And halfway through the men's 400 metre race, uh, Redman experienced, experienced the excruciating pain of tearing a hamstring. And there he was, down on the track, doubled over in pain. And there, as he knelt on the track, he was faced with this decision of what to now do. Would he finish the race or wouldn't he? Well, slowly, Redmond rose to his feet and from there he, he started hobbling to the finish line. But there, as he struggles to get himself along, there's this incredibly moving moment when Redmond's own father runs out onto the track and, oh, well, why don't I just show you? Friend, uh, you don't have to win the race. You only have to finish. And God is your Heavenly Father. Your suffering, it's all part of His good plan to get you to the end. So come on, get up, keep going. And lean upon your father's shoulders until this race of yours finally comes to its end. Let's pray. Father, our Father, we thank you for your loving discipline of us, your children. Father, please help us to endure the hardships of life, being shaped by them, being made more like you and fit for heaven. Lord God, thank you for helping us every step of the way. And Father, we pray for those of us here tonight that not one of us would drop out of this race on account of our hardships, but that we would each make it to that finish line, to that place of healing, and there enjoy true life with you forever. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.